0: You know, the Old Testament is a book of pictures or exquisite, vivid color portraits. The whole Old Testament is a picture. And then within that landscape, you have individual pictures that reveal God's redemptive plan. And in those pictures, we see the Messiah. We see the Messiah coming. He's coming in suffering as a suffering servant, and he's coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. Turn in your Bibles for just a second. We're not going there permanently, but to Romans chapter 1. And listen what Paul says. This verse caught my attention. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son. So the gospel is in the Old Testament. The Old Testament has a picture of the gospel of God That God is initiating through His Son and we see it in the Old Testament. That's why the Old Testament is so important to read and to to grasp and to understand because we we have these pictures that are there, these, these photographs or this artwork of color that's displayed all over the Old Testament. And I want us to look at one of those pictures today first I want to give you an illustration in the Louvre in France is the picture is the painting I should say I'd be correct Keith would get on my case is the painting of the Mona Lisa now the Mona Lisa is only 30 inches by 21 inches so in the Louvre they have these massive paintings if you've seen those massive artwork you walk through the louvre you see all this beautiful massive artwork and then you come to the mona lisa and it's just unimpressive <laughs> it's underimpressive seemingly compared to all the other paintings but you know the mona lisa its value last year was 800 million dollars so, you have this, at least in my perspective, who knows nothing about art, a fairly average, an unimpressive painting compared to everything else that you see there. That's worth 800 million dollars. And one of the reasons it has the, its value, or the, one of the, the reason that its value initially skyrocketed was about 100 years ago when it was stolen. And when it was stolen, the picture of the Mona Lisa was painted all over newspapers across the world. So people finally, people knew what the Mona Lisa looked like. And they they recovered it, and then its value started skyrocketing. And today, it's $800 million worth of a seemingly unimpressive painting. And there's a biblical picture today that I wanna, want us to see. It's an obscure painting. And most of the time, when we read it, we probably would just glance through it. And if you read commentaries on it, you will see that basically all that's given about these four verses is just that this is the history of it. This is what happened. This is what happened at that time. And that's it. But I think it is something more than that. I think it's a picture of immense value, of unusual kindness, of grace and mercy from someone whose name is anything but mercy and kindness and graciousness. Now let me give you a little bit of history of Israel, which most of you know probably. After the reign of Solomon, Israel split in two. So here's a portrait of the past. Israel split in two. Israel and Judah, two kingdoms, northern kingdom, southern kingdom. And in the northern kingdom, every single king in the history of the northern kingdom was corrupt. And there was a phrase that dominated who these kings were. And it said this. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Every single king of the northern kingdom. And the northern kingdom spiraled down into obscurity and eventually was conquered by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. Now Judah was a little bit different but not a lot different. They did have some kings in Judah, in the southern kingdom, that these were the words that described those kings. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Instead of evil in the eyes of the Lord, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But the majority of the kings of Judah were just as infamous Just as bad, just as horrible as the kings of the northern kingdom. And in 586, the Babylons came swooping in, the Babylonians came swooping in, and Jerusalem fell. They were hauled off to Babylon for 70 years of captivity. Now, there's one thing here that's really of internal importance to all of us, and we don't want to miss it that through all the evil of these kings, through all the evil of history that preceded that, read the Judges. That is, you know, they did what was right in their own eyes, was the description during the time of the Judges. Through all of that, even in their unfaithfulness, God remained faithful to his covenant. And here's why it's important to us. If God would not have remained faithful to his covenant, we would be eternally damned today and would not be sitting here. They were unfaithful. God made a promise in the garden. I am going to crush, the the seed is going to crush the head of the serpent. And that promise has forever stood and will forever stand. We have that in in, uh, Hebrews chapter 6. God promises and God pledges. And that promise and that pledge is unchangeable, the writer to the Hebrews says. And it's unchangeable because God cannot lie. Therefore, He is and he will be faithful to all his promises. Now, in these passages of the kings, you see some famous names. Names like Saul and David, Bathsheba, Solomon, Ahab, Jezebel, Jehoshaphat, Naaman, Joash, Hezekiah, Sennacherib, and Manasseh. I mean, and then there are a host of other ones. So you see some good ones, and you see some very evil ones. Turn in your Bibles to Second Kings chapter 21. This is what it says about Manasseh, King Manasseh. 2 Kings 21 verse 16 says, Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another. Besides the sin that he made to Judah, to sin so that they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord the next king that follows is Joash Joash was a reformer and Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord he restored the law he restored the Passover but God made a promise. And he made a promise to Manasseh and his heritage and to, to Israel, to Jerusalem, to Judah. And this is what he said, "Go to Second Kings chapter 23. Verse 26. <clears throat> Joash did all those reforms. Verse 26 says, Still the Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath by which his anger was kindled against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight as I have removed Israel and I will cast off this city that I have chosen, Jerusalem, and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. God made a promise and he kept his promise even though Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Now also covering this landscape of God's plan We have the prophets. We have Nathan and Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea and Amos and and all the others. But there was one passage I want us to focus on today. One, I think, is a jewel. Obscure. (laughs) Not like my impression of the Mona Lisa. But it is obscure and something we would just kind of gloss over. So... Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 24, beginning with verse 8. Jehoiakim was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Yahushua, I think that's right, the daughter of Elinathan, of Jerusalem, El Nathan of Jerusalem, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father had done. At that at the time let me back up the next verse, at that time the servants of Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came up to Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came to the city while his servants were besieging it, And Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, gave himself up to the king of Babylon, himself and his mother and his servants and his officials and his palace officials. And the king of Babylon took him prisoner in the eighth year of his reign, carried off all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold in the temple of the Lord, which Solomon, king of Israel, had made told carried away all Jerusalem and all the officials and all the mighty men of valor 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and all the smiths and so forth so you have this boy king Jehoiakim, does what is evil in the sight of the Lord God keeps his promise and says even though Jehoiakim. Josiah has brought these reforms and has done what was right in my sight. I am keeping the promise to Manasseh, and the e- because of the evil he has done, he has crossed the line in my anger and my patience and my benevolence. And Jehoiakim now is carried off to Babylon after a very, very short reign. But something happened in Babylon that paints a tremendous picture. A great composition, exquisite colors, vivid detail of the result of God's drama of redemption for his people. So I want you to turn now, it is in Kings also, but I want you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 52, Jeremiah 52, and we will camp there. And let's read <clears throat> beginning with verse 31. In the 37th year of the exile of Jehoi- Jehoiachin or Jehoiakin, king of Judah, in the 12th month on the 25th day of the month, Evil-merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he became king, lifted up the head of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and brought him out of prison. And he spoke kindly to him, and he gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. And Jehoiakim put off his prison garments, and every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table, and for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king according to his daily need until the day of his death as long as he lived. Now, evil Merodach, his name doesn't do justice. He's he's not evil in that sense. In fact, he's very compassionate here to King Jehoiakim. His name means son of Merodach or man of Merodach. And he was a successor to Nebuchadnezzar. What we have in these passages is a living portrait, I think, a living description of Christ the King and his redeeming, releasing reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, this is not a messianic passage, but it is a portrait of what Christ has done in our lives, what he has done as our substitute, and what he has done for us on the cross and the resurrection. And I want us to look at seven, seven beautiful colors that adorn the reign of King Jesus, as is pictured here by Jeremiah the prophet, and this release of Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim is released from prison and misery, and he's released into a state of liberty and honor <clears throat> and some freedom. So I want us to look at those colors in relation to. Christ and his work. Let's look at the first color. Jesus reigns to be gracious. Look at verse 31. It says that evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he became king, he lifted up the head of Jehoiakim. Now, this, this same passage is in Kings. And there it says he was gracious. But it is a description of the lifting up of the head. So I can just see the king in his graciousness, and we don't, we don't know why he was kind. There's all kinds of conjecture as to why he was kind to Jehoiakim. Uh, we have no idea. But I can just see the possibility in his kindness going into the prison and removing King Jehoiakim. King Jehoiakim you got to you know he is bowed down in misery here he's in stench he's in filth he's in feces he's in urine he's in dried up food old food he's in with a bunch of other guys i mean this place is pathetic no color tv n- no education no reform nothing he is there wallowing as a prisoner, as a captive, as a slave of Babylon. And Merodach, King Merodach comes and he graciously lifts his head. I think it's a great picture of Jesus. In kindness and compassion and his grace to us, he lifts our bowed heads and hearts that are bowed in the mire of sin. He raises us up out of that. In Psalm 38, David is in anguish over his sin and he says this, My iniquities like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. Our sin weighs us down. The Holy Spirit places a heavy hand upon us in our guilt. So it's twofold. The very sin itself bows our lives down. Holds us in slavery. And at the same time, the hand of God is upon us in a guilt of Disobeying Him and prostituting His glory. In Isaiah 53, it says that Jesus was crushed under the hand of God and put to grief. When his soul, it says, makes an offering for sin. Not his sin, but our sin. So King Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords forever, has taken the grief and the hand of God upon himself and it crushed him. So what's the result? Psalm 3, 3 says. That the Lord. Is the lifter. Of my head. The Lord is the lifter. Of my head. And Paul tells Timothy. That by the power of God. Who saved us and called us. Or lifted up our heads. So to speak. Because of his own purpose and grace. Which he gave us in Christ. Jesus. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians. Hold the Jeremiah passage. Turn to Ephesians 2, one of my favorites. Verse 1. In Christ Jesus and then the famous passage for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God so Jesus comes to the prison of our sin he lifts up our head in his grace and his mercy and he sets our feet on the on the rock to stay The second color, I think, in this portrait is the color that Jesus reigns to release us from our prison of sin. Look at verse 31. It says that evil Merodach lifted up the head of Jehoiakim, and he brought him out of prison. Out of the stench. Out of the filth out of the feces out of all that was happening in prison yesterday I showed a film uh, at the jail to some of the prisoners it's it's a film about Angola prison and one section of the prison some of the prisoners uh, are incarcerated for 23 hours a day so they get They get out of the cell one hour a day. And in that section of the prison, prisoners will take feces and they will throw it across the aisle to other prisoners, throw it at them. And there will be this battle and it will go on for days of feces throwing at each other. So Jehoiakim, by the kindness of evil Merodach, is released. And he's brought out of that filth of prison. Jesus said in John 8, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And then he says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Isaiah 61 says, Referring to the Messiah, it says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and then I like this, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So Jehoiakim is set free now out of this. Christ sets us free out of this prison and being bound by the slavery of of sin, and he brings us into the house of the Lord, and it is forever and ever and ever. The third color, I think, in this portrait is that Jesus reigns to speak words of kindness to our souls. Look at verse 32. And he, evil Merodach, spoke kindly to him. I I doubt that that was the nature of a conquering king. (laughs) To speak kindly to someone. Because they would take their prisoners and they'd parade them down the streets in victory and triumph. But evil Merodach comes and he speaks kindly. So Words of kindness, tone of voice of kindness. When Jesus speaks in John, for example, in the Gospel of John, he speaks using a lot of the I am phrases. When God said to Moses, I am who I am, Jesus is referring to that. He's, he's showing that he is God. He speaks those I am phrases. And there are words of kindness to our souls. There are words of freedom to our souls. For example, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You don't have to wonder. It isn't a hundred thousand different ways. You don't have to guess. I'm the way, truth, and the life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the good shepherd. Every one of us can attest to the fact that Christ has been a good shepherd in our lives. All through our Christian living, Christ has been that good, good shepherd. He says, I am the bread of life. These are words of freedom. As as John Piper once said, he said, Jesus didn't come to give us bread. He came so that he would be bread to our lives. And that's true. He is the bread of life. He is the freedom to our souls. Let me ask, what greater words of kindness could anyone than the words that Jesus gave to the paralytic when Jesus said to him in Mark chapter 2, My son, your sins are forgiven. There are no greater words. There are no greater words of kindness, no greater words of freedom. The kindness and the compassion of Christ releases us from the prison of our sin. We're delivered to the house of God, and we are declared not guilty. (laughs) The fourth color, I think, is that Jesus reigns to make us a kingdom. In verse 32, it says, And he spoke kindly to him, and he gave him a seat above the kings who were with him in Babylon. Now, this is not a seat above evil Merodach. This is not a seat that's equal to evil Merodach. This is a seat above all the other captured kings that evil Merodach had. So Jehoiakim was over them, so to speak, or had more privilege than them. But Jesus gives us, I think, something more. Jesus reigns, as Revelation 1 6 says, to make us a kingdom, a kingdom and priests to God and to his God and Father. In 1 Peter 2 9, as Doka has preached on, it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Notice it says royal priesthood. Royal and priest never went together. You had kings and you had priests, but you didn't have kings that were priests and you didn't have priests that were kings in Israel. But Christ reigns so that we would become a kingdom and we would become a kingdom where we are royal priests unto God for His own possession. And He has made us a royal priesthood for one reason, Peter tells us, and that is to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So, We're not just a bunch of captured people with nowhere to go and nothing to do. God has made us a kingdom, and he's made us a kingdom, a royal priesthood kingdom, and a holy nation, and we have a mission, and it's the mission to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. Back in the 1700s, Jonathan Edwards, who was... um, American evangelist, revivalist, uh, famous American, uh, eventually became um, president of Princeton University. He he wrote that Jesus is, and he calls it this, Jesus is the admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies. I love that. the admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies that's who Jesus is for example in revelation revelation 5 it says Jesus is lion and he's lamb so he's a he's a lamb like lion and he's a lion like lamb and you have that all through scripture this, this, this conjunction of diverse excellencies. And Peter says, that's our position. That's our job. We are to proclaim that to the world. The excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and brought us into his marvelous light. The fifth color in this portrait is that Jesus reigns to replace our clothes of sin with clothes of his righteousness. Look at verse 33. It says, Jehoiakim put off his prison garments. You can't go before the king of Babylon or any king looking like a prisoner, smelling like a prisoner. So not only did he take off his prison garments he had to put on some other garments. Otherwise, he couldn't dine in the king's presence. He couldn't come into the king's presence. You remember in the book of Esther? When, when she had to, she, she, she was in waiting to be the king's wife and the, the waiting was 12 months had to be, they had to prepare her just so she could go into the king's presence. Twelve months. Six months with oil and six months with, I don't know what else. That's a lot of makeup. <laughs> That's a lot of preparation. She had to look a certain way to enter the king's presence. So Jehoiakim got rid of his prison garments, but he had to have some other garments. He had to be given some other kinds of clothes so that he could enter into the king's Presence. before we can enter into the presence of God our filthy unrighteousness must be removed and it must be replaced with something we cannot go into the presence of God where there is no sin as sinners filthy ragged unrighteous sinners. So how do we get a new set of clothes so that we can come before the throne of God? The only way it can take place is that there has to be an exchange made. 1 Peter 3.18 describes it like this. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous For the unrighteous, that he might bring us God. Or Romans 3.22 puts it like this. The righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Or Galatians says this. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So we lose our filthy unrighteousness. We lose our filthy rags of sin when we are born again. And we are clothed. I love this. We are clothed in the beautiful, exquisite, vivid, magnificent, I don't know enough words to say, righteousness of Jesus Christ is put on us. And we are counted righteous and we can come into the throne room of God and not be consumed by the consuming fire, God. That's quite a transaction. The sixth picture is that Jesus reigns to seat us at the king's table. Verse 33 says about Jehoiakim, and he dined, and every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table. He was no longer going to eat the garbage of prison. Now he was given a place at the king's table. He was in the king's presence with the freedom of being in the king, freedom from prison, new set of clothes. Jehoiakim now Could walk into Evil Merodach's luxurious banquet hall and dine with him. In the Old Testament, God details how the table of bread is to be made and how it fits into the tabernacle. And then he says, The Lord says, and you shall set the bread of presence, capital P, the bread of presence on the table before me regularly. Now, it wasn't obviously because God didn't need to eat. (laughs) That's why it wasn't there. But it was to typify Christ as the bread that came down from heaven, as Jesus tells us in John 6. So, the priest, into the tabernacle, the bread of presence was to set there. Reminder... Of the Messiah that was coming as the bread of life, or shadowing the Messiah that was to come as the bread of life. So, when we receive our new clothes of Christ's righteousness, we are privileged to enter the holy, holy, holy presence of God, not be consumed by Him. What do we feed on? What do we eat? We eat the bread of life because Jesus becomes the sustenance of our life. He is our life. He, we are clothed in his life and his righteousness. He is our focus. He is our purpose. He is our direction. He is our truth in the way. He is everything about our life of eternal significance. Christ is it. And that's who we feed on. That's who we go to. That's who intercedes before us, before the throne. But there's a seventh. Color here. And the seventh color, I think, is that Jesus reigns to give us our daily provision. Verse 34 in, in here says in Jeremiah, And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king, according to his daily need, until the day of his death, as long as he lived. Jesus, King Jesus, freed us from the bondage of sin removed us from prison, seated us with him in heavenly places. Now he provides what we need day by day. He provides moment by moment intercession as our high, holy priest. The Holy Spirit is given to us, residing in us. And the word of life is renewing us. And so the Bible says in Second Peter, we have everything we need for life and godliness that's all you need is jesus for life and godliness so the portrait of king jesus is arrayed in purple of royalty it's in the it's arrayed in the white of purity it's arrayed in the red blood of the cross's cruelty And what is the result? The result is the glory of God is vindicated and our redemption is sure. Absolute. So Jesus lifts up our bowed lives and he redeems us. He delivers us from error to truth. He brings us from darkness to light. He takes us from death to life. He takes us from being enemies of God to becoming children adopted into His family. He takes us from sin to righteousness so we are free. We are released and we are brought into the King's presence at his table. That's what communion is all about. Taking the bread and the juice and being in the King's presence. Let's pray.